0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This episode is a real gift, and I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation today. So make a puzzle, bake some bread, or do whatever classic lockdown activity you want, and enjoy today's episode.
1: Today on the podcast, we are chatting with our friend Bart Ison, who is a local youth pastor that we get to work with. Uh, Bart's currently doing his MDiv, and honestly, he is one of the smartest people that I know. Uh, but in this episode, Bart is actually gonna share his experience with Burnout and how that came to be and what he learned through all of that journey. This series, we're talking about how to take care of yourself well, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. And this conversation is just really valuable. You're gonna hear Bart um, share really honestly about his own journey. And in the midst of a lockdown and a really isolating year, Bart's story is a great encouragement to anybody who is struggling right now. And honestly, just a great testament of how Jesus is a source of hope in dark places. So we know that you'll enjoy and uh, here's the conversation.
0: Bart, I'm so excited that you're here, number one, because we like you and we love serving with you. Um, it is a real gift and very fun. Um, but number two, you can speak on this topic in a way as a 29-year-old because of what you have experienced. So to start things off, super deep question here, what makes Bart, Bart?
2: Well, I and I've mentioned this before, but uh, one of the things that was really hard about that question is it. For me, it was much deeper than I think was intended. Uh, I got all philosophical on this question because it's, it's deep. You know What makes a person a person? And I found out after talking with Ainsley and Jen a bit that it was not meant to be so uh, confusing. Um, I think, first of all, what makes me me is my identity in Christ, and I think the fullest expression of who I could be and who I'm intended to be is when I'm living out of my identity in Christ. So that's just the obvious theological answer that I feel like I have to give as a person in ministry. Uh, and it's also one that I embrace. Um, but, uh, on a more practical level, uh, I think what makes me me is obviously my family. I really value my family. I have a, a beautiful wife named Tina and a beautiful daughter named Addison. She's a little over two and uh, Tina and I have been married for, it'll be close to six years and um, i have a, a passion for ministry and all things theology so uh, i did an undergrad in, in theology i have a bachelor of theology from Manual, and uh, i'm doing a master's of divinity um in pastoral studies and currently work as a youth pastor and uh, those things are probably too much a part of my identity uh i have a the, the uh the unfortunate uh genetic trait. I don't know if it's genetic or not in my family, being a bit of a workaholic and being probably a bit obsessive about ministry and theology. So when this question was posed, I was like, oh, you're going to hear some of my flaws because I am uh, I'm probably too wrapped up in that world. Uh, but I have other things I like doing. Like I like, I like um, video games and I like soccer. And yeah, there's there's some good things that round me out better, hopefully. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be me in a nutshell.
1: So uh, you're going to be sharing a little bit just about your experience with burnout. And so just tell us straight up, what, what is burnout?
2: Yeah, burnout is <clears throat> what happens to someone when they uh, overwork themselves or when they um, get to a point where stress leads them to a place where they're kind of numb or, for lack of a better term, burnt out. Um, and usually burnout is characterized by depression and anxiety. They're, they naturally follow suit with burnout. Um, but the difference between burnout and depression, anxiety in general, is more that burnout is the root cause of this particular um, anxiety and depression. It's, it's, it's caused by overworking and um, not finding rest in appropriate places.
0: Can you walk us through your journey with burnout and um, yeah, your mental health?
2: Sure. Um, so this is a, it's a long story, um, but, and there's a lot of things that precipitate burnout. And it's not always easy to pin down what exactly causes burnout. Um, but I think it, for me, it would start when I worked for Youth for Christ in, in Wingham. Um, I was 19 years old, and, and uh, I took over as kind of an interim director after a guy named Adam Shepsky. And uh, I love ministry, and uh, I love learning. So I was taking three courses at Emanuel. I was working... Uh, 16 to 20 hours a week landscaping and then working full time as a youth center, interim youth center director at 19. So you can already see that there's a lot of stupid decisions there. Um, And uh, I overworked. Uh, There were some weeks where I worked, you know, closer to 90 hours and get four hours of sleep a night um, just because I'd be hanging out with students or helping them through crisis. and, And it was a crazy time in ministry too because youth center ministry is challenging to begin with but so when you have assaults or you got to call the police or children's aid it, it adds a new level of stress um so that i think that's where it started and i think i handled it all right because my ego was like like big and i was like yeah i'm all that in a bag of chips I'm, I'm crushing this ministry thing and then i went to bible college and became an ra and I approached that like ministry as well. I took all my people on my floor out for coffees. I was really serious about their spiritual development. And it got to a point where I, I put a sign on my door saying, I need a 45 minute nap. And people would still interrupt that um, because, you know, people will come to you if you're available. And if you make yourself too available, then, and you don't put up boundaries, they, you know, they will, they'll come to you. And so I had a lot of people come to me and that was fine. It was good for my ego. What really crippled me actually and caused some of the burnout I think was a few comments from friends of mine, um, that said I had a savior complex and, uh, and said that you treat everybody like they're one of your students. And that wrecked me, that comment just derailed me. And, uh, I was graduating manual And so I didn't realize I had burnt out for a while. I'd been burnt out for a whole year. Cause my, my last year of Bible college, I was different. I didn't hang out with people as much. I did mostly academic stuff, which is not me. If you know me, I'd rather be around hanging out with people. And uh, I I uh, kind of was more secluded and just at homework. And, I, and my friends were saying, there's something wrong with you, man. You're not totally right. And uh, I didn't realize I had burnt out until I started ministry at my current church at Bethel. Uh, I was commuting from Kitchener at the time and is still an RA during the summer. And I remember when I realized something was deeply wrong when I was driving back from uh, visiting my girlfriend at the time, who's my, who's my now wife, uh, and coming into Kitchener on the highway. And I all of a sudden, like my body just freaked out, like I thought I was going to die. Couldn't breathe. Had to pull my car over to the side of the road, get on my hands and knees uh, on the side of the highway and just breathe. Um, and I was like, yeah, something's not right here. I, th- I was thinking I was having a heart attack or something. Um, and, and then I realized, okay, there's something wrong. And then we started going to, down the road of like talking to mentors, what could this be? Talking to my doctor, uh, talking to a counselor and them being like, yeah, this is, this is burnout fueled anxiety and depression. And some of the things that were like early, early warning signs that I ignored were when you're burnt out, you have trouble making decisions. Uh, every decision seems big and you just don't know what decisions to make or you don't care enough to make decisions. So you let everybody else make decisions for you. Um, and you get pretty numb. You know, when you're burnt out, you're numb and uh, nothing fills you with passion or excitement. Uh, and and those, were, those were clear indicators. And of course, what fueled some of the burnout too was not only the overworking, but the change in life. Because uh, I was dating someone in a serious relationship for the first time. I've had a, had a few relationships in high school, but this is a serious one. And then starting a new career after finishing my undergrad and then starting my master's as well. It was a lot of change at once, uh, which I found out I don't do well with change uh, if it's too much at once. So I think that's all that precipitated and that's, that's kind of my journey with it. Um, like that's how it happened. Uh, it took two years of, of counseling uh, being on antidepressants and talking to mentors to get over it. And I still have it. Like once you burn out or get anxiety and depression, you're always, you pass a threshold that you're always closer to going back to it because the neural pathways in your brain have been pretty deeply entrenched. And so there's a chance you'll go back to that lifestyle. That journey was two years of, of praying, crying out to God, bawling my eyes out of my apartment room floor, You know it was not an easy time it was very difficult and and i remember the people here at this church were like what the heck is wrong with this guy like we interviewed with him and he seems pretty solid and it was looking like it was going to work out but he's like grouchy uh he he's reclusive he's you know like just just not good (laughs) and so and there's some people here that were very patient and recognized pretty quickly that this was this was burnout and depression
1: yeah it's uh it's not something i think you would normally like pinpoint or like expect to see in younger people, but yeah, that's super interesting. Thanks for sharing. Um, looking back, what were some red flags that led you up to getting burnout and that you maybe didn't see or just ignored?
2: The big thing was, you know, I could see I wasn't making good decisions. Uh, like I, I wasn't making decisions if I could choose not to, that was a big one, but also I was working way too much and my ego was fueling a lot of that work. Um, which is not godly, you know. Um, I was like, man, I'm killing this ministry thing. And uh, and that was stupid because I was just, I, I did have a Messiah complex. Um, and so those are some big indicators. When you start to, to to worship your work and worship your calling over and above God, that was a pretty clear indicator. And at the time, I felt the closest to God than I ever did. So I was confused by that a little bit because um, I was really growing in that season too. Um, But I think those are the big indicators when your identity is rooted in something it shouldn't be and you don't have healthy boundaries uh, or balance in your life. So, you know, youth had had full access to me any hour of the day and night, which is, you know, not okay. You got to have a life. And and the spare moments I had, I was was working, doing school and, and landscaping. And so, you know, I didn't have a proper cycle of rest. And that was a clear indicator. I remember, you know, going to sleep and just being totally anxious or hitting the pillow and like flat out in an instant, because I was either totally exhausted or, or too anxious to sleep. It was kind of extremes. And those are pretty good indicators too.
0: What were some helpful things that the people around you did to support you to be there for you, whether it's people at your church, like you'd mentioned, or you'd said that you were seeing a counselor for a bit of time there, but what were some helpful things that people did to walk with you through that season?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing was ministry leaders who had been there. They were the most helpful. Uh, I had two mentors at the time. Oh, well, I had a number of mentors, but two major mentors that influenced me about with this. Uh, one of them was Dr. Brett Andrews. He's a Youth for Christ guy, but he was also a uh, Bible college professor of mine, and uh, he he gave me two books. One was about love and identity because I think when when people poked at my messiah complex. I recognized that maybe I didn't think God was super loving and I struggled with God's nature. So he recommended a book on God's love and he recommended Wayne Cordero's book, Leading on Empty. And he, v- he met with me and he was pretty quickly able to pinpoint, hey, this is burnout. And what was good about that is he's empathetic. The worst thing you can do with someone who's dealing, dealing with burnout and depression, and I had this from people, well-meaning people, people that I, that I genuinely love, say something like, well, just think happy thoughts. Like, why do you got to be so negative? Or, you know, like, you know, or the Christian answer, like, well, run to the Bible, run to Jesus, you'll you'll get over it if you read your Bible enough, you know, or practice gratitude. And so the things not to say there are those kind of things. Uh, Not that none of those things are true. I actually, and we'll talk about recovery later, but I think some of those things were helpful realities, but but they need to be framed appropriately. And um, so he was helpful. And my other mentor, Dan Mose, he has been in ministry a long time. And he he was quick to spot it out. He was like, this is burnout. Usually doesn't happen until later in life, but you need to go see a doctor. So he pushed me to see a doctor. And I I actually at the time was so ignorant. I didn't know doctors dealt with psychological stuff. So they're like, what? They they deal with that too. And then when I went to see a doctor, they're like, here's some anxiety medication. And then, but the doctor was good because she explained to me, this medication will help you be more balanced emotionally. You'll not have as high highs and not as low lows. Um, which is dangerous. like it, it aids that numb feeling, but it allow you to cope in the interim. And, but she said, it's just a Band-Aid. If you want a, a long-term solution, if there is one to be found, she did warn me, there might not be one. Therapy is really key. And it's funny there because I started seeing a therapist that I was seeing in Bible college. When I was in Bible college, you were required as an RA to see your therapist twice a year. And I thought that was the dumbest thing ever. Uh, uh, but now I'm like, no, that was brilliant because you're able to share all the problems that are going on in ministry and life and it's private and you're not gossiping about people or anything like that and uh, it's actually that relationship that enabled uh, a good, good therapy relationship for when I was dealing with burnout and depression and I was seeing that therapist like whenever I needed to, uh, once a week if I had to, maybe once every other couple of days, like he was very much available, which was fantastic and I actually still see him once a year just to make sure that I'm on I'm not off kilter and to do a check-in so those were really helpful people and 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 my friends and actually my wife who was my girlfriend at the time it's amazing she was extremely good because most times if you're dating a guy and he's bawling his eyes out every second time you see him you're not going to be very interested very long and um, <laughs> if he's always negative and questioning the relationship and struggling with the the changes in his life and mopey mope you're like i don't want anything to do with this guy but for some stupid reason she stuck around um uh which actually kind of brings me to tears a little bit because that woman displayed such a commitment to loving people in their most weak moments And actually one of the reasons i married her is because um she saw me at my worst and she stuck around uh most people don't see people at their worst until they're Married for a good good while, right? So, she was huge in that. She was understanding, and she didn't always need to come at me with a pile of words. Sometimes all she needed to do was just, you know, hold my hand and let me ball my eyes out like a like a baby in front of her. So, not super attractive, but um, yeah, that was really supportive. She understood it, you know. And some people don't understand it, um, and that's hard. And you can't be mad at them because if you haven't experienced depression or anxiety or burnout you, you, I I probably would have said stupid things like that too um, until I'd experienced it, yeah. Mm.
1: How was it for you wrestling with mental health and being in a profession where you're caring for people, particularly, you know, at the youth center, you said there was a lot of uh, really, I guess, chaotic, it's a little bit more chaotic, some of the things that more of the kids are dealing with. So yeah, what was that like having to care for people and be struggling yourself?
2: Yeah. Luckily the, the manifestations of my burnout didn't come until I was in church ministry. Uh, and now there's different problems with that. Like youth, youth center ministry has its challenges and church ministry has, has its challenges. They mm-hmm. have different challenges. Um, the, the expectation for most youth pastors, and I think it's a silly one, but it is a reality is they want you to be fun and you're not very fun when you're depressed and anxious. <laughs> I, I remember a, um, a clear moment where we were at kingdom bound and this kid threw a water balloon at me while I was reading a book on, on depression and anxiety. <laughs> and I just lost my crap. And if you know me, that's not an easy thing, you know? And, and the kid just looks at me all bug eyed, like, I'm just messing around. Right? Like they want to goof off with their youth pastor, right? That's perfectly normal. But, but that's an example of how it's really hard to care for people when you're dealing with that. And, um, and then in the background, too, because here I was burnt out and depressed, I think my church really wrestled with, like, should we keep this guy? Does he maybe need to take a leave, you know, or, or you know, take a break or do something else? Because this is really hard. And that played a lot of emotional stress on me. And they are well-meaning people, and I, and I don't paint them negatively. They were very patient with me. But I think they wondered, is this the right fit for him? Because he's really not doing well, you know. And um, what was really hard about that is in the background, it also starts to question your self-worth, you know. Before, you'd done well in ministry, and now you're in a place you're not doing well in ministry because of your anxiety and depression. And you start to question your whole career choice, your identity, all of it. That was hard for me, I think. And loving and caring for people actually improved because I was more empathetic because of my burnout and depression. So in some ways, it was healthier. Um, I remember some students that were dealing with anxiety and depression were like, well, this is the first time somebody understands what I'm dealing with because you're, you're experiencing the same thing. Although it's hard to speak hope when you're not feeling hope yourself. I think that was one of the bigger challenges too. Um, and so, you know, a solution that I, that I worked on throughout that period was I was on my knees praying and not cause I'm super spiritual. I needed it. Like I craved two hours of prayer a day if I could get it. Like I was just, you know, maybe that's why I was useless as a youth pastor at the start a little bit because I wasn't doing as much but praying, but I think, you know, obviously prayer is really important, but I think, mm-hmm. I think, I didn't devote as much attention to work because I was just, I needed to be in the presence of God or I was not going to make it. And uh, there was good in that. You know, there was some benefits. Like some students, we grew spiritually in that time because they'd never never been exposed to someone who's like talked about prayer as like a need as opposed to an obligation. You know, Um, it was a need. Like I couldn't get through a day if I didn't have it. Um, so there was some good in it, you know, like it was, it taught me some spiritual practices that I still carry out today. Yeah. Mm,
0: That's a really good transition into the next question that we have here. Um, what do you do now that's different from what you used to do in terms of, uh, work, spiritual practices, your free time? Mm. What's different?
2: Yeah, it, uh, that's a process. So I don't want to sound like I have this totally nailed down because I don't. And in fact, I it's tough because the the first reaction when you're like realizing that this is going to be a problem in your life is to kind of shut everybody out and make really strict boundaries, you know, Um, and that's what I started doing. I I was like, I need to get healthy uh, and I learned to make boundaries and boundaries are really important. So for one of the boundaries I've made is my Sabbath is Monday and I don't see anybody else, family, friends. You know, and there's times where you got to make exceptions, but typically I don't I don't see anybody else, family, friends, youth, you know, nobody, unless there's a crisis, except for my wife and 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 my kid. And uh, Sabbath is like I I protect that Sabbath, man, and and I get called all sorts of, you know, some people complain that it's legalistic and stuff, um, but when you've when you've dealt with burnout, you recognize you have to guard rest. That was a big learning curve, like guard it, and it's got to be healthy rest. I also learned through that burnout experience, there's there's band-aids rest, and then there's getting at the root kind of rest. And the band-aid rest we do is is fleshly. It's like, you know, you get home from a hard day of work, and all you want to do is watch Netflix. You know, you know, binge your favorite show, whether that's you know Brooklyn or Friends or whatever, right? You that's the rest that your your flesh craves, um, but that's not the healthy rest you need. And so I learned to distinct, distinguish between the the right kinds of rest. And so rest for me was taking a walk outside. You know, um, you know, sitting on my front porch with a book I enjoy, not a workbook. Rest that feeds the soul. Prayer time with Jesus that wasn't motivated by my work. It was just about me, you know. Um, those, were, those were habits. I'm not perfect yet, but those are habits that I started to learn. Because when, when you're originally burnt out and dealing with depression, all you want to do is binge watch TV or, or play video games to distract yourself from how miserable life feels. Um, and that's a perfectly natural response. But learning to rest well, I think, is one of the reactions I've, I've learned. The other thing i've learned uh, as a result of like what i do differently now is i still uh i monitor my emotional and spiritual health like i'm very aware of where i'm at it used to be i kind of took pride in the fact that i would go all out and work a week and just like pump in 70 60 you know hours a week and i mean that that's not inflated that's what i was doing um but learning to be like no I have to stop at a certain point because I need to have my best energy for my family and for myself uh, and my time with God. I can't give my best energy to my work all the time. So, you know, gauging myself emotionally. So after retreats, I used to just work right back into work. Like I I'd, I'd get a retreat done and I'd work the next week just fine. Um but now I've learned okay, if you're gone for a whole weekend, that's draining. Um you should maybe take a day when you come back that week, you know? So being aware of your emotional energy and adjusting accordingly. Um, and when I started to feel feelings of despair, because of who I'm wired, the way I'm wired, I would start to reach out to mentors and, and talk to them about how I'm feeling. And if it got to a point where I was really feeling despair and mentors weren't really helping and and my God time wasn't really helping, I, I would go to see my therapist. Um, and that's the other thing, the other habit that kind of, that I'm really serious about is God time and I'm not perfect at it, but I, I strive to do a bit of it every day. And, and it used to be, I did an hour a day and maybe I need to get back to that, but I, and that's not like a legalistic thing, but I recognized that that was restful for me and that motivated ministry. And I wasn't operating it on of myself when I had time with Jesus as much. So those are some of the big things. There's probably more, but, but I think those are some of the areas where I was really intentional about, about fostering health. Mm. Yeah. And good sleep uh, is another one you want. You want to sleep well and do exercise. And yeah, but I'm not perfect at any of that. I screw that up a lot. So, yeah, not
1: perfect yet, Bart.
2: No, <laughs> You think you'd figure at a certain point you would be right. But no, that's not how it works.
1: I'm hoping one day, <laughs> but I haven't figured it out. So. <laughs> um, so going back to your, you know, 21, 22 year old self back in that that space, uh, what would you say to yourself?
2: I mean, so much. It's it's a lot. There's a lot. Twenty-one-year-old Bart was pretty dumb. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
2: um, you guys are a lot wiser when you were twenty-one than I was when I was twenty-one. I'll say that. So, um, hmm, I think one of the biggest things I would say is get a hobby, man. Like <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, try to not. Obsess over your calling so much—that's a big one. Uh, and it's not, and it's hard because you know we want to be all in for Jesus, but when when all in for Jesus turns into a worship of that call, that's not really all in for Jesus. That's all in for you and how you, how it strokes your ego. You know, um, so that was a big one for me. Uh, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, exercise appropriate rhythms. Like, spend more time with family. And and eat some humble pie, you know, read some scriptures that talk about humility and, and recognize your brokenness, too. Because I think a lot of the burnout was fueled by pride and, and an ungodly idea of who I was. Yeah, I, I think those are two big lessons from 21. There's a million, like, oh, my God. Uh-huh. Like, try not to cry every time you're hanging out with your girlfriend. And, <laughs> you know, there's so many of them. Uh <laughs> But I think Break that the, down, guys. Yeah, that's that's the big one that stick out. And and I mean, there was Bart wasn't totally dumb at twenty one. I, I figured the relationship piece out. That was good. I mean, I I think I picked the right one. So Yeah. <laughs> that worked out all right. God was God was gracious despite some of Bart's stupidity in that time for sure. So but I think <laughs> I think that's a big one. Like the appropriate rhythms, the time with Jesus, like the prayer and and being on your knees with, with God and being being filled by him to fill others is really it's so true. And it's, it's uh, one of the things that I did because of good mentorship when I started at Bethel is I put in my contract that I, I should be permitted to take an hour a day for prayer and stuff. And boy, is that a good idea? Because, you know, North America tries to tell us that ministry is all about being busy, but it's not. Um, ministry is about being filled by Jesus so that you can encourage them in their walk, that it's motivated and, and, and operates out of your relationship with Jesus and that was that was really healthy and not a lot of churches or people get that and that's an important one and luckily bethel did they agreed to that when they signed the contract so
0: you've obviously alluded a lot to this but um looking back at this season how has going through burnout affected your relationship with god
2: yeah i mean that was the big thing right like um i went through a crisis and i i, I you know the the question that i asked myself the whole time i dealt with burnout and depression and anxiety was God why would you allow this to happen to me now because typically burnout is a midlife crisis thing like you're in your 40s 50s you know that's that but I, I asked him I, I was on my hands and knees begging him for an answer as to why he'd allow this to ha- happen to me you know um why and you know what it's the worst feeling in the world because the uh, that's being hyperbolic obviously but the um the the tough thing about depression is you can have everything going for you and not enjoy it right like so by all rights i had had a beautiful beautiful girlfriend that i could see a future with i had finished my undergrad and and done okay i got a job out of the gate of bible college like i got hired at this church before i graduated and that doesn't happen like there's people after their degree waiting years to find ministry jobs so i had everything on a silver platter you know and i couldn't appreciate it and so i was asking god why would you give me all of this and then allow me not to appreciate it because my, my thoughts are so negative about everything. Like, what is what is that about? This is supposed to be a great time in life, you know? Um, and that question led me to a, a process of, like forced me on my knees before God to ask that question. But he led me to Lamentations three. And I think, it's, I think it's verse 28, it's down a little bit. You know, the typical verse 21 is like, God's mercies are new every morning. You've heard that one, right? But if you read a couple verses down, it said, it's good for a young man to bury his head while he is young and to face affliction and to be struck so that when he's older, and I'm paraphrasing, he'll learn the lessons from his youth, right? And so that was profoundly impactful for me because what that text was basically saying was, I'm allowing you to go through this right now so that you have lessons for when you're older. And you can help other people, but also this will help your walk with me because I'm tearing down ego here. I'm tearing down your own identity pieces here and I'm trying to rebuild it in a way that's healthier for you in the long run. And so what it did for me uh it affected my relationship with God by by bringing me to my knees. And anytime anybody p- faces crisis you have two choices. You either run from Jesus or run to Jesus, right? And by God's grace I was able to run to Jesus. And running to Jesus I learned that like Everything in my life, in ministry, in my marriage, in every facet of life, has to be motivated in Christ. If it's not, I'll be down this road again. Because if I have to do everything out of my own strength, I'm going to burn out. And it's not going to be fruitful in the long haul. It, it pushed me to my knees, but it also taught me the the need to be thankful in my in my spiritual journey. So uh, we joke about this all the time, particularly with Ainsley. I'm a pessimist, right? Ainsley's <laughs> like this this rabid optimist. Um, and uh-huh. I... I uh, I'm actually in the wrong for being a pessimist because, you know, you can't argue with me that it's good to be a Christian and be a pessimist because then you really don't get the hope of Jesus. That doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> um, so, so what it did is taught me the need for hope and thanksgiving. And, and so one of the things that caused healing for me in this was the need to be thankful about everything. And you know what's super brutal? When you're depressed and your therapist is like, be thankful for leaves and for trees and for every little gift in your life. And you're like, I'm thankful for nothing. That that stuff's garbage. And you have no motivation to be thankful. And when you're trying to be thankful and do the practices he's teaching you to do, you're like, this is sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Like, this is bull crap. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't genuinely appreciate this. And this doesn't feel genuine to be thankful about everything. But Philippians 4, 6 through 9 says, you know, that to be thankful before God and to bring our request to him and the God of peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say that that whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, dwell on these things. And the, the thing that's often missed there is that's an imperative from Paul, which means it's a command. And so there was a command there to be thankful and to practice thankfulness, even if you don't feel like it. And that's how you find peace. And I think that was a profound text for me and for my spiritual journey to the point where it's actually one of the things I do when I start to feel depressed. I start to pray about the things I'm thankful for and to reflect on those things. And that actually brings health. Now, to tell someone, oh, you just need to be thankful and run to Scripture, that's putting the, the cart before the, the horse, right? Like, you have to be at a place where you have therapy and, and <clears throat> all the other things in place before you can really embrace Scripture joyfully. Um, and so it was a part of the process for me, but you can't tell me that if you just read that passage enough, you'll be fine. That's not the truth either. It was a, it was a combination of things that helped me to recover to a point where I can function. So that was big. So the two things it taught me is <clears throat> God sometimes allows you to go through trial so that you can help other people, but also so that he can mold you. And the second thing is God taught this, this um, grumpy old pessimist the need for thanksgiving and, and the need for, for uh, hopeful living you know, and choosing that. Because I had always been under the idea that you can just operate as a human being and not have to worry about what you're thinking or how you're thinking other than not thinking sinful thoughts. But there is a discipline to thinking positively. And we're commanded to think positively. And I'd never known the need to be disciplined about my thought life beyond not thinking sinful things. And that's easier said than done, because with depression and anxiety, there's neural pathways in your head that get pretty worn thin when you're constantly thinking negative thoughts, right? So I'm rambling. But yeah, it's it's something I'm excited about. You know, God did a lot in that time. Mm
1: -hmm. So kind of along that same vein, what do you know about God that you didn't before walking through this season?
2: I think um, it's hard not to get emotional thinking about it, but I think the, the big thing that it taught me was God sees you and that's easy to know. And I think intellectually, I knew that, but to really feel it is different. And to know that God doesn't protect you from things, if there's something he can do in that and that's not cruel or mean because i'll tell you this when i was dealing with depression and anxiety my most lucid moments were brought about by god's spirit like i would get a rush from the spirit in a lucid moment that would carry me through some of my darkest thoughts and i'd question that that lucid moment like you wouldn't believe with anxiety and depression but those lucid moments kind of carried me through and on a, on a sidebar i was dating tina during anxiety and depression, you ask anybody, that's not a good time to date someone, especially not the person you're thinking of marrying. And I'd have these lucid moments where God would be like, no, stay the course. This is the right relationship for you. Like God God still guided that whole process, even though my mind and my emotions were in shambles. And so God sees you and he's there. And that doesn't mean he's going to protect you from everything, but it does mean he'll walk you through anything. And that that embracing that in your soul is so different than knowing that in your head. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a... That's the thing I didn't know about God, really, truly know. And, you know, to get nerdy here, that that Hebrew word, yada to know, to know intimately. And we so often associate it with just our intellect. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a new level of understanding when I learned that that word meant to be intimately connected to God, to intimately know God, like, like almost like a marriage type relationship. And that's the truth. It was like I knew these things intellectually, but I intimately knew them and knew that God was with me through anything and cared about me in anything and was with me really, truly with me. Um, and that's a big shift. And you see that same narrative in Job, right? Like Job is the most horrible life. And then at the end of it, God's like, who are you to question me, man? And then God, Job's like, well, God's presence has taught Job that doesn't matter what happens, at least God's there. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a big one for me. And there's so many, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many more. Like I could talk about how, how God uses material things to bring about health. You know, God uses doctors, God uses therapists, God uses antidepressants. They're not ungodly things. Um, I could talk about, you know, uh, God God using our brokenness to, to and our journeys to heal other people. That's a big one. I mean, in, when I hang out with youth, I think they're more prone to tell me about dealing with depression and anxiety because they know I've gone through it. And I'm able to help them in that journey. And to discern what some of the things they're going through, whether or not it's genuine or not. You learn also that God is sovereign and, and like he's in control of it because there's sometimes this, this sneaking idea that, that comes into our head that's like, how much is God really in control of stuff if he le- keeps letting bad stuff happen? But when you go through an experience like that and you see the fruit that God's brought out of it, you're like, no, no, I may not have seen the whole picture, but God did something. Would I wish depression on anybody? Would I wish to go through that again? No. But do I regret going through that process? No. It refined me in ways it should have. Hmm.
0: I'm just kind of sitting here in <laughs> awe, like as you're talking, like I'm thinking about like things that I've experienced, things I know Ainsley has experienced, right? Knowing your story and what you just shared, it's like, <laughs> it kind of makes you a little bit like, it's making me speechless just because of how good God actually is. Mm-hmm. Right. And even that in itself is like, yeah, like for me, I've heard it my whole life, right. God is good, you know, but when you walk through really difficult things and you experience that, His goodness, despite whatever circumstances you're going through, it's, yeah, all you can do is just be in awe of Him because none of this is how we would have picked it, right? Like, God is in the business of restoring things and restoring people and bringing life, and it doesn't make sense, but He's so good in and all of that. So thank you so much, Bart, for sharing your story and for being um, yeah, vulnerable and sharing your wisdom with us in, in that. We are obviously recording this in the middle of a lockdown in Ontario, and more than ever, isolation is affecting all of us. So what would you say to us um, for those of us who are really, really wrestling in this season? It's not a t- normal, typical thing that we've ever experienced. Um, so what would you say to, to us?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, I talked before about how multifaceted depression and anxiety is. Like the things that, that led to my depression and anxiety, there's many. And one of them was I was living on my own. So I'd lived on my own before, but when I was working at the youth center, I at least lived with a family. You know, when I was at Bible college, I lived with Bodies there, right? And for the first time, when I took this job in Listowel, I lived on my own in an apartment by myself. Isolation is not good. We're not designed for it. And so, I think the big thing I would I would encourage people is, you know, your tendency when you're dealing with depression and anxiety is to shut everybody out. You know, and and I believe me, I did this. You know, I would just lie on my on the floor in my apartment and and listen to worship music just to cope. You know. Uh, and and I would I would I would do everything I could in my free time to just be by myself. But that's not healthy. It's counterintuitive because that's what you want, that's what you desire when you're dealing with depression. But you really need to be intentional about connecting with people. I think that's a big thing. And yeah, Zoom sucks. And yeah, phone calls suck. And in person, so much better. But they're going to help more than you being by yourself will help. And and so two things, you know instead of binge watching Netflix, um, which we all love to do, get out and talk to some people on on online platforms and spend time with Jesus. And the problem with that is if you're depression anxiety, anxious and you're, you're mad at God, because usually you're mad at God if you're dealing with depression anxiety, you're like, no way. Like, forget you, man. There's no way I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm not really happy with that guy right now. And I don't really want to talk to him. And Then the other thing is like, no way, I don't, I'm socially, usually if you have anxiety, you question what everybody thinks of you when you say stuff, right? Like one of the worst parts of doing ministry with anxiety was like, does this person, what does this person really think about me? Do they think I'm dumb? That dialogue's constantly in your head. And so going out and talking to people is like the worst idea. Because if you talk to people, you're going to be second guessing every word you say in your head and calling yourself an idiot in your head if you're dealing with that, right? And so it's kind of counterintuitive. So what I always encourage is like, go to people you know who love you, And you know who don't think negatively about you and, and connect with, be intentional about connecting with them and then go to God. And it doesn't need to be like this, you know, exegetical study time. But, you know, for me, it was like, I'd listen to a podcast on depression, anxiety, or I would listen to a worship song. Sometimes I couldn't even do that. Like I just needed to listen to like somebody be mad at God, you know, and talk about that, like whatever it was, I needed that, that's, that's, Thing that identified with me on some level, uh, so that's part of it, and you may not be, may not get there, so th- the other things before those steps maybe are to be physically active endorphins, they help with depression anxiety, and being outside that helps. go for a walk, you know be outside, eat healthy. those are real things. and as someone who loves his junk food and lives a lifestyle that's like uh, I'll exercise just so I can work off my, my eating habits which- <laughs> Is not healthy. That's like my only motivation for exercise. Really, I I would never want to diet. That's like the last thing on my list. <laughs> but but um, <laughs> but but truthfully, eating properly and exercising they help with all of this, and and leading a non sedentary lifestyle helps. Now, of course, it this is such a complicated thing because depression is complicated, but. Of course, when you're depressed, there's going to be moments where you don't have motivation to do any of that, and all you can do is binge watch Netflix. And if that's going to distract you from having suicidal thoughts, maybe that's the right call. But you can't live there because you're not healing then. Those are Band-Aid solutions, right? We talked about Band-Aid solutions and long term solutions. Band-Aid solution is distraction. It's not fixing anything, but it's hitting pause, right? Um, So I, I would be wary of when you're hitting pause and when you're actually dealing with the root, if you're in that situation.
1: Thank you again for that, Bart. And just to end off, we have one last question that we like to ask all of our guests. And that is, what is the best advice you have ever been given?
2: Oh man, that's a tough question. There's a lot of great advice I've been given, but I think the best piece of advice uh, I ever had was from my mentor, Dan Mose. And he always said, stay dependent on the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, if If you're not dependent on him, uh, you'll operate at your own strength and it'll end bad. And usually it'll lead to burnout. Um, the other thing is in connection with that, he'd always talk about partnering with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you're not going to do anything effective in ministry or in life if you're not constantly in dialogue with the Holy Spirit and partnered with the Holy Spirit doing what you're called to do. Um, so that, that's his big push. And, and he would say that you're the best you can be when you're partnered with the Holy Spirit and dependent on God. And you're less likely to fall into sin or make really serious errors in judgment when you have a good connection to the Holy Spirit. Even your ministry is really based on your ability to to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to be rooted in the Holy Spirit, basically. It's a really long answer, but yeah, that's the big piece of advice that kind of branches into a bunch of other things.
1: Yeah, that's good. Sounds Sounds like you have a pretty wise mentor.
2: I would agree with that, yeah.
1: Well, Bart, thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, I say, I agree with Jed, I feel a little bit speechless and it's been such a joy to work with you over the last few years and just get to know you better. And yeah, I think just to see how God has worked through your life. And I think it is really cool to see that, like you find the goodness of God in a story of immense pain and that's crazy to me, it's it's who Jesus is, he finds himself in in the midst of brokenness. And I think that's really cool. So we just want to say thank you for being vulnerable sharing your story and coming on and letting us uh, record you. And even just for all the work that you do in Listwall and just the friend that you are to Jen and I and everything that we get to learn from you. Bart is like definitely like one of the smartest people that I know. Like uh, I feel like every conversation that I have, I just walk away being like, oh my goodness, Jen and I always were like, Bart is so smart. I just learned so many things (laughs) from him. Thank you again, just for, um, yeah, being with us. And uh, I, I know that you are going to be a huge encouragement and um, a message of hope to people who are struggling.
2: I hope so. Yeah, it's great being on here with you guys. It's so much fun. And uh, yeah, I just value this whole endeavor. It's, uh, it's pretty cool uh, doing a podcast. And I know there's lots of podcasts out there, but there's not many like this one. So I encourage people to, to listen and to learn.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you won't want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. And you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends to stay updated. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to give us a review on whichever app or platform that you're using so we can see what you guys are enjoying about the podcast. Toodles! (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, Why
0: do I do that?
2: I love it. <laughs> <laughs>